Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. So we're this is race number four this week. Is so, it only number four? I feel like I've spent a lifetime doing races this season because they've all been nail biters and on the edge of your seat kind of races. Well, they have been, but what my question for you was now that we're going into race four because you know as a reminder as we're recording this just because of how timing works we end up recording between qualifying and the race so we've seen how timing works like how the clocks work yeah pretty much <laughs> basically because of your crazy schedules on sundays it's not just my crazy schedules it's because the rest of the it doesn't make sense for us to record sunday nights and and have time to edit and get it posted Monday because we just our schedules don't work for us to do that. Well, there is that you do like or to, to record get on sleep. Monday and try and do it Tuesday. It doesn't work for us. Well, yes, because you like to get <clears throat> sleep. If you would give up Sunday night sleep, we would be able to do this after the race. Yeah, I'd prefer not to do that. But anyway, where I was going <laughs> with this when I've sidetracked you three times. Yes. Can I go for a fourth? <laughs> okay. Going into to race number four of the weekend, you've now had some time to hear it a few times, some, some time to adapt to its introduction. What are your thoughts now, now that we have entered into the season, on the new theme music for Formula One? Don't care, can't make me. Oh, I was thinking, I, I still think it sucks. Here's the thing. There are a few hot button topics that I know that I could spin you up if I start mentioning. <laughs> and every single one of them, there has not been an instrument created in this world to measure how little I care about them. The theme music for Formula One, one of those issues. Okay. I, I, would, I, I don't think it's great. I don't care. Because as long as we're not replacing the chain, I'm pretty good with it. Well, keep in mind, though, next year I'm it is— I'm a little is, concerned that we're losing the chain. You're, you're pretty much losing the chain. But, okay. But, yes, I don't care. It's theme music. I don't care. Didn't deserve the hype. It didn't deserve the hype it got. Well, it's, it's liberty being liberty. But, you know, we hear it now at the start of every race and every qualifying session. And, and yeah, I'm waiting for the Avengers to come out. Where's Captain America? And you get all. He's there. He's wearing a white race suit with teal accents. <laughs> I mean, he's there. He speaks with a Finnish accent? No. No, he's a Brit. Okay. One that, that four makes world a whole championships. Lot, that, that makes a whole lot of sense for Captain America, but okay. We don't have an American driving. Anyway, but every time you hear the song, you get all spun up on it. Hey, it watch sucks. me spin you up again. How do you feel about Lance Stroll? Oh, <laughs> we're going to get to Lance and Daddy Stroll in a bit. Sorokin bothering you today? <laughs> no, because, well, you know, he doesn't make any headlines because he sucks. No, he keeps putting his car in the wall. Yeah, well, there's that too. He has he has a wall problem. Yeah. Anyway. The fact that they exist. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. It, it's it's really difficult to uh, make sure that your car stays out of the wall. Because, you know, tw 19 other drivers can do it most of the time. Sometimes. Sometimes. 50% of the time they do it 100% of the time. 50% of the time they do it 100% of the time. And yet we are still teaching how to lie with statistics. <laughs> there you go. So moving on. Mm -hmm. We're recording this Sunday, Monday morning, 
there is scheduled to be a vote to decide whether or not there should be modifications to the front wings of the cars for 2019 to improve overtaking. Because there needs to be a vote, there needed to be research to tell, well, to basically reveal what every single person with half a brain that wasn't an aerodynamicist already knew when we introduced these rules. Okay, wait a minute. You, you lost me at the half a brain thing. Because it didn't you, take much. Because you're suggesting that the <clears throat> rule makers at the FIA have half a brain. Because remember, we've been saying overtaking is a problem for at least five years. And they've and done we know every why it's a problem. And we know why. And we've done every rule change to make it actually harder. Well, no, that's not completely true. If you'll recall, we changed the rules going into last year to make the cars wider by giving them more mechanical grip so that they could follow closer. But then we turned around and also changed the rules to make them more aero-dependent on the front end so that they can't race close to each other. And we made them wider, which means that it's harder to pass on narrower tracks. Right. Um, the year before that, we gave them more horsepower so that they could go faster and we sh could see more passing because they'd be able to go faster. But we didn't lift the restrictions on fuel flow. Right. <laughs> and we still made them aero-dependent where they cannot run in dirty air. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a car that can run in dirty air, you're not going to have good passing. Period. The end. Full stop. And I don't have an aerodynamicist degree or a physics degree. And I know that mostly because I can listen to the pundits talking and interpret. Well, so the, the FIA came up with a proposal that changes the aerodynamic characteristics of the wing and appears to, to meet the objective and new restrictions and, and, the design of the wing in order to meet that objective. Some of the teams are in support of it. Some of them are not. What the agreement was after Bahrain was that the team should go forth, take the proposal that the FIA had, conduct their own computational fluid dynamics research to determine whether or not the, the F, what the FIA determined, and, and basically it was Pat Simmons, he was leading the group, what they determined was going to be the right answer to meet the goals. <clears throat> the word that's coming back from the teams is that none of the teams, none of their testing um, came, well, all of their testing supported the findings of what the FIA and Pat Simmons came up with. None of them said anything different than that. That They all said that this is really makes the, the best sense and probably the best direction to go, but still not all the teams are behind it. Okay. Because, you know, never put it past the teams to go and shoot themselves in their foot. Well, there's that. And don't forget that they are all self-serving. When we have teams voting on the rules, this is what you get. Yeah, Eric Bouillet says, I'm not sure this mature, this proposal is mature enough. It's only been discussed for a couple of weeks. We know we have a big change coming in 2021. Do we start now or do we wait? I don't know. I'm 50-50 on this one. Wow. 
Yeah. Christian Horner says that uh, he doesn't think that this is going to go through. Okay. He, he, he thinks that um, there's a lot of consequences to doing this are detri- detrimental. He thinks that this is just a small piece of what needs to be looked at for 2021. Um, and then you need to do a complete package for 2021 and build that out um, that encompasses everything. So, yeah, this, there's, that, that, this may not happen. I don't even understand why this is so hard, but leave it to the FIA to make, and Formula One in general, to make things that are easy difficult. Well, in, in this case, I don't think it was the FIA that was at fault. I mean, they, they've come forward with they a proposal to make They finally figured out what better. the problem was. Yeah, they, they figured out, you know, the problem is we, we know we have a problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes that is the first step in a solution, is admitting that you have a problem. Yeah. There's like 12 steps that happen after that, though. Is the twelfth step death? No. Oh, okay. It is not. Okay. Just wondering. It should not be. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. I I don't know. I think some of the argument that, especially if the Azerbaijan race is a fourth race in a row that is fairly exciting, I think that's going to be a lot of the push right there. Well, what do we need to make changes for? The races are really good this year. Yeah, they're really good because people are getting fairly close, but they're still not able to execute the pass. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's – okay, on one hand, we've got suspense. Yay, suspense. But on the other hand, we're not having the the amazing passes. And I say this in all humility, understanding that whatever Daniel Ricardo did to thread that needle on the corner in – where were we just? China. China. I've, I kept trying to go Bahrain, but it wasn't Bahrain. No, it was in China. China. Whatever he did to thread that needle was just amazing. The the answer seems to be fairly squarely. You want the breaking the breaking zones to be bigger, not smaller. That way, you're encouraging folks to be more ambitious and take the risks and hang it out there. And you know, as Daniel Ricardo likes to say, lick the stamp and send the letter. which is lost on the younger generation because they don't know what a stamp is and they've never seen a letter so (laughs) i mean i think we've just aged daniel ricardo right there so other change now this is an approved change and this came from the fia and the teams are allowed to do it is um early in this, even though, yeah, we are still technically early in the season, but the initial um, complaints regarding the halo for the drivers, practicality-wise, is that with the halo in place, it made them very it it made it very difficult to see um, anything behind them. Um, you know, the mirrors are already kind of small. Um, you've got the halo and the structure for that that was further obstructing their view, and there were some concerns about safety. Um, so the FIA took a look at it, and uh, they have given teams permission to move the mounting point for the mirrors onto the halo. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen any teams do this yet for uh, Azerbaijan. Um, one of the things, though, that the team was – a couple of things that the team there, – there's some caveats here. One is that you can't drop 
a mirror on the halo and still keep the body mounted mirror. Ah. So, so you're not going to have like eight mirrors hanging out. You, you're still limited <laughs> to just two mirrors, either on the halo or on the body. Now, I don't know whether that means you could put like the left side one on the body and the right side one on the halo. That I don't know, but you can't have like more mirrors. So it's not a green light for that. The other thing is that um, since a lot of times they're putting cameras on the mirrors or in the mirrors uh, for, the, for Formula One management to use for the broadcasting rights, if the FOM comes to the team and says, hey, we want for this race you to have the, the mirror camera available to us, you cannot mount it on the halo because you're not allowed to run wiring through the halo. Oh, yeah, and they're not, and they're not changing that rule to accommodate this. Well, that seems like it could be a bit of a problem because if the teams have decided that there is some advantage, safety or otherwise, because you yeah. know exactly what's going to start happening. The minute somebody figures out that they can put the mirror on the halo and they get the visibility that they need, but they also get some arrow ad- advantage. Because it's not sticking out as far or something weird like that. They're going to start doing it. Well, what if FOM goes to that team and says, okay, you're the team that's going to get up for mirror cameras. You got to put it back on the body. And they're like, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, no, we think this is an advantage for us. We're going to keep doing this. Yeah, that's going to be a bit of a problem. So we'll see if teams move it. I haven't heard a lot of pre- – I was a little surprised that this announcement came out because I haven't heard a whole lot of discussion about the halos blocking our view. So I don't know if anyone's Well, I would suggest that Toro Rosso look into this <laughs> since they have a problem with hitting each other. Um, and I think every time that they've hit each other, the person in front has said, I didn't know where that other person was. <laughs> well, they didn't hit each other this weekend. They came really, really close. And we'll get to that in a bit. I thought we'll they had contacted. No, they didn't. And that was part of the issue there. So, like, like I said, okay. we'll get well, to that later. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, another proposal that is being floated for 2021 as part of the, the budget cuts and things like that is possibly forcing the teams to shut down their mission control rooms back at their plants for race weekend. Okay, I do not understand why this is a thing that they need to be talking about. What do you mean? Be- why do we care if they have mission control back at the plant? They, they're they all integrated. They've got boffins all over the place doing math, which obviously needs to be remedial math in Mercedes' case. But why not? It's a team sport. It doesn't have to be just team trackside. Well... The idea is well, well. First off, you got to understand why th- these mission controls sprouted up in the first place, because in, again, in an effort to control costs, the FIA and Formula One told teams that there was a maximum number of team members that they could have at the track with them, including the hospitality folks, including the marketing, the engineers, and the mechanics, and all of that stuff. Well, in order to do all to, to crunch all of the data and do all of the analysis that teams do throughout a weekend and still be able to have 
the bodies available, they built out these control rooms. And the the second or so time lag that they have between them talking back to each other, I guess, isn't enough. Isn't a detriment to them. Right. But that is still body. That's still a head count, and it's still all the costs and all the technology to establish that didn't go away they just don't travel with it as much so yeah it's a little so they save travel money yeah you save travel costs but not salary costs so the idea is if you turn around you tell the teams that the only analysis you get to do is what you can bring trackside within the personnel limits that you're allowed to bring trackside you're saving additional costs because you don't need that headcount back at the plant you don't need the infrastructure and the technology and support all of that stuff back at the plant I'm so opposed. you could so you could be talking about a couple of hundred easily several hundred thousand to a million dollars or more in cost savings right there. I know. Plus you make it harder for the teams. Again, don't care. I know. Let's limit the hospitality requirements for all of these teams so that they can have more smart people at the track. The problem there. <laughs> In, 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 in all honesty, the problem there is that the hospitality is part of the team's effort to generate revenue. I understand. Where the, the engineers kind of but not really are. Winning a race will generate revenue too. It will. But if you can wine and dine your sponsors to get them to give you more money. Also a good thing. So wine and dine your sponsors back at the factory while the race is going on, and you're still not going to save any money. Well, some of the teams do that too. Yeah, doesn't like Williams do like a watch party or something? Williams and Force India both. um, You can go and watch the races and take part in their hospitality at the plants on race weekends during the race. McLaren does it a bit more sporadically. And but they, they have tend- sleepovers at the technology center. Occasionally. Where, where you can go sleep yeah. in a bed next to a car with a room full of other people. Ugh. On the boulevard. On the boulevard. That's what, that's what they call that area where the cars are. And, and I am with very that, that concerned big glass about sleepwear. I mean, literally, if they don't, like, issue you sleepwear, I am very concerned about inappropriate sleepwear. I would assume that the folks who are participating are conscious of such activity and behavior and the fact that not only are they in a room with three or four dozen people that they've never met before, but the other side, and, and this is my my actual concern here. Okay, so the boulevard, if, if you've seen the pictures of the McLaren Technology Center, it, it runs around the front of the building that faces off into the lake on one side you have the cars and the factory behind it on the other side you have this two-story glass window wall that runs the length of the building yes so when the sun comes up (laughs) there's no sleeping late here i mean okay if you were in a room with historic Formula One cars. Yeah, I know. There's no sleeping late anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it does not sound like a delightful hotel. I mean, yes, it is a very unique experience and one of those things that, you know, once in a lifetime brag. I can't even but say in it's terms a bucket of, list item. <laughs> but, but in terms of 
when you head home the next day, you're going to be like, man, I slept like crap. It was, you know, <laughs> I'm exhausted. I need to take a couple of days off to recover from this. It just. So all I can think about is, and I think I, I don't think you were with me for this fun, but we did a Cub Scout sleepover in one of the nature centers around Yeah, I didn't you. do that. And, you know, it was roll your sleeping bag, you know, obviously sleeping bags, and we mm-hmm. could have air mattresses, um, you know, in some room within this nature center. And so I literally had us sleeping between a taxidermy deer and a frog. And so, yeah, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, hi, dear. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you didn't sleep well. It was it was kind of weird. It, it sounded cool, but then it was just kind of weird, the whole, like, the whole process. <laughs> like, okay, I'm sleeping in a – okay, why? <laughs> I'd love to go to the McLaren Technology Center. I would, too. That's it's a bucket not, list item. That's not sleeping an easy there. Thing, that's not an easy thing to do either. But sleeping there is not high on my bucket list. <laughs> Though I would like to see them go out and measure the depth of the water every day. <laughs> I really kind of want to see. Them yeah, there, there, there's a video that McLaren did. They released it was it was part of their April Fools' video um, about how dedicated to precision that they are, and <clears throat> some of the things that they claimed that they did as part of their dedication to precision is they they every morning they measure the size of every tile and the distance the gap between each tile throughout the entire mclaren mclaren technology center to make sure that nothing has settled and moved they also precisely measure the depth of the lake in front of the technology center every morning and this is the claim it was an april fool's thing but yeah well given their performance lately maybe they've spent too much time measuring the lake and the tiles Either that or maybe they just spent too much time brainstorming the video. Also possible. Yeah. Anyway, getting this uh, train wreck back on the tracks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so fuel flow. Don't care. Back to where we were. <laughs> well, again, much like the aerodynamics rules where everybody said, this isn't going to make your life better. It turns out that some of the folks, including some of the drivers and some of the teams are going, this isn't going to make your life better. See, like I said, don't care, can't make me. Yeah. Otmar Safnauer says that, uh, yeah, this is this is not going to make the racing better. It's not going to have an impact on anything. It, like we have said in the past, the average fan does not know whether or not a driver is lifting and coasting or driving flat out. Right. And especially if they stop talking TV. about it, then nobody will know. And especially if they're watching it on TV, you don't know. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to change, though. So, you know, all the threats that Ferrari has been making, that if they don't get their way for 2021, they're out of here. Now pack they're, up their toys and go home. They're taking their toys. They're, 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 they're done. That's it. They're gone. They're, they're and Whatever will Haas do. Toto Wolf saying, they'll do it. They'll really do it. Well, what the, to, to answer the question about Haas is – what the threat has been is that they will splinter off and create their own series. Uh-huh. And then take Haas with them. Well, that Haas would clearly go with them. Well, they'd have to because they have no parts otherwise. Yeah. Um, that That's the threat. Well, Andy Palmer over at Aston Martin 
has been watching this whole thing because, you know, they're entertaining moving into Formula One and, and want the rules to change as proposed because that makes it attractive to them. Mm-hmm. Well, Andy Palmer suggests that, um, you know, they are a competitor to Ferrari and it, you know, they could be used by the FIA and FOM as leverage against Ferrari of, okay, fine, you guys leave. We got Aston. Where I think he misses with this whole idea is that at no point has Aston floated the idea of entering as a full constructor with a works team. They've floated the idea and been consistently floating the idea of supplying engines, possibly buying a team, but they keep backing off every time a rumor starts to fly about it. So... Yeah, unless Aston's going to firmly commit to coming in with a works team, I don't think that there's much leverage there to be had. I don't think Sergio Marchionne's that dumb. No. I don't. No, I don't think he's that dumb. But, I mean, if Ferrari actually were to pull the trigger and say, that's it, we're done, then that really would pave the way for Aston to come in with a works team. I mean, they could buy Ferrari's team. I mean, that's what they could do. But no, they can't buy Ferrari's team because Ferrari's not going to put that team up for sale. They're just going to close it. And unlike, say, um, when Honda pulled out and had the, or when uh, Renault pulled out the first time and they had these facilities that they were getting rid of, all of the Ferrari development work is done in Ferrari factory in the main Ferrari factory in Marinello. So just because they turn around and shut down the formula one team doesn't mean that they've now got a spare building on some campus in the Oxford Valley that somebody could buy up. It, it's back at the factory. So they're not going to go and sell Aston Martin, a building at the factory. Well, there's that truth, but they can find they, they They'd figure it out. They would. Okay. It's a threat, but Ferrari's not going to pack up their toys and go home. I mean, come on. I I don't think they're like, I think they're going to make a lot of noise and Mm -hmm. they're going to push as hard as they possibly can. And they will use every single bit of leverage to get as much change as possible, but they're going to back down at some point. I think you're right there. So according to Autosport, and, and, and I got to really put that out there because I haven't seen anything anywhere else. Autosport says that there are reports that have suggested that Lawrence Stroll, Lance's daddy, is pushing for Williams to have a hostile B-team deal with Mercedes in order to do basically exactly like I said, what Haas is accused of doing with Ferrari. Now, First off, before we get into William's actual response here, the only report that I have heard that claimed that something or even suggestion that something like this might even be considered by anybody was this past week Channel 4 did, um, what was it, Eddie Jordan did a quick piece on Haas Mm -hmm. in the build-up to the qualifying. And, And it was just, you know, an overview of, what the partnership was with Ferrari and Dallara, and a, a quick little touch on whether or not this truly was in contravention to the spirit of Formula One and how you could call it that way, considering 
what Frank and several other constructors used to do back in the 60s and 70s when they got started, whether that was um, um, Colin, what's his face, over at Lotus. You would say that, and I would have been able to tell you up until the point you I know. said that. Um, or what Frank Williams did of, of buying used chassis, refitting them, and either running them themselves or reselling them. Well, Colin Chapman, that's it. Colin Chapman. But also keep in mind that back in the 60s and in the 70s, you could buy a chassis, throw a Cosworth engine in it, and go racing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was sort of that the That was method. pretty much the rule set. That was, that was what you had. And that's what the garage racers did. Mm-hmm. And that's when you had the teams that were being innovative and, you know, tweaking and wrenching in their garages. I mean, that's the rise of Williams right there. And keep in mind, most of the early days of Frank Williams, he couldn't pay his bills. Yeah. Well, uh, we're getting kind of close to that now. Um, <laughs> but they, they're they a publicly traded company. They actually showed a profit. Yeah. Um, we about they can that last they week. can pay their bills. They just can't expand. That's their yeah. issue. But um, you know, gone are the days that Frank can sell the same chassis to the same person three different times for three different seasons. <laughs> um, well, the idea that supposedly Lawrence is putting out there is that this would allow them to cut their staff down to a Force India level. Because Williams has about 500 staff. Force India is running about 400. Latest interview with Claire said their staff was up to 700 people. Well, see, and that this is my question, because this is where I'm not completely clear on. Knowing all of the things that Williams has their hand in, is that just the Formula One team, or is that the Williams Advanced Engineering Organization as a whole? Honestly, I don't know, because Claire just said that her staff was... Um, 700 people. <clears throat> I assumed it was the Formula One team because she's the de- deputy team principal for the Formula One team. I do not believe that she is all head of all knowing head of advanced engineering. I don't know. And I, and I think Patty Lowe's position actually does branch across into leadership at advanced engineering, but I'm not positive. I, I do know that Patty has a stake in the team now. That was part of possibly he bought Toto Wolf's stake when <laughs> when Toto had to sell his. Well, no, because remember there was a gap there between um, when Toto sold his and the two of them were both working for Mercedes. It was as you know, this is how you buy your way into a job if you're Patty Lowe. You buy a controlling stake in a team and then say, "I want a job." <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've worked for some companies and had some uh, company principals that that's exactly how they got and kept their jobs. <laughs> so Claire Williams insists that the history of the team is, is as a constructor. They want to stay a constructor. Um, what she had to say was, I don't know where that story has come from. We are a constructor. Frank and Patrick, talking about Frank Williams and Patrick Head, Frank and Patrick fought for our independence for decades, and they did an incredible job. One of my responsibilities is to protect our independence, and that's incredibly important to us. Now, she does admit that they're coming up on a revenue crunch with the talk about um, 
redistribution of the income and some payment drops and things of that nature, they've got to figure out what they're going to do to bridge the gap and stay alive. Um, she s says that, you know, near term, they're good. Long term, they've made no secret. They, they could be in trouble. Right. Um, she also said in this recent interview, it's on, it's in the F1 app, mm -hmm. um, that they have identified the problems. They've got an answer. They've got a plan. Um, she was very adamant that they are not going away. It's woman standing on hill with fist raised in the air and I will survive playing <laughs> in the background, um, moment. But I found some other interesting parts of that interview with Claire and I strongly suggest everyone read it um, it's long it's got history in it but I have a homework assignment for every person listening including you okay you presume I'm listening I'm presuming that you are <laughs> listening I believe that you should pay close attention to the Williams car the livery on the Williams car and you need to look for something you need to look for a butterfly. Apparently, every Williams livery since 2013 has had a butterfly incorporated on the car somewhere. And it's integrated so that it does not stand out particularly. So go look for it. I haven't found it, so I'm asking people to help me find it. Um, go look for it. Now, that butterfly is there to represent Jenny Williams. Mm -hmm. Frank's wife, who passed away, um, she lost <clears throat> her battle with cancer in 2013. Apparently, on the same on the anniversary of Frank's accident. Mm. Um, but Claire has insisted that this butterfly be a part of this. It was one of Jenny loved butterflies. Apparently, she got a tattoo of a butterfly on her wrist when she turned 60. Frank was po'd. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see Frank being very opposed to such things. <laughs> um, but Claire tells this absolutely heartwarming story about Jenny's funeral. Um, that through the doors of the church, a butterfly came in during the funeral. It landed on one of the stained glass windows and then on a guest that was there and wouldn't leave. Wouldn't was it Nigel? I don't know. Oh. She hasn't identified the person who wore, I said, wore said butterfly for some length of time. Butterfly wouldn't leave. Actually rode with this person back to the house when it started flying again once it got to the house. I mean, it's kind of weird. Yeah. It was a little freaky. But um, Claire wants to make sure that uh, Jenny's spirit and the fact that she really pushed Williams to where they were and really was the the woman behind the man especially after Frank's accident she fought for everything for Williams she wants and Claire wants to make sure that that spirit does not leave Williams which is just heartwarming and sweet and it's a good story speaking of and I don't know if you knew this um but McLaren is another team that has um, a component of their livery in every car, every year that they have that they have had a race car um, that has been a part of their livery. Tribute to Bruce McLaren, who is actually he's not English. He's Australian. No, he's not. He's from New Zealand. Oh, he was a Kiwi. 
Yes. Okay. There's a kiwi bird on the car. I did not know that. Yes. We'll have to go look for the kiwi bird. Too. So, yeah, every year they put somewhere on the car a kiwi bird as a tribute to Bruce. All right, so now you have, this is Easter egg hunting. We're looking for butterflies and kiwis. But not on the same car, because no. that'd be weird. That would be weird. So, there it is. So, moving on. So, Daniel Ricardo had a really big week after China. Well, I heard that the top three, you know, their top three drivers all had really incredible things that they did after China. I heard Vettel went home with his family. He has a family? He admitted that he has a wife and children. He actually admitted he was married? Yes! And it, it, for, for those who, who have not been listening for a really long time, that is real, true, incredible. That, that is not snark there. Because while we knew that Seb had at least one, possibly two children, he never admitted to being married before. Yes. Well, he never talks about his family. His family does not True. attend to the races. It is a complete, he is incredibly private. Mm -hmm. Incredibly private. Um, but he did an interview that said that after China, he went home to the wife and kids and spent time with the family. Yeah. Now, the reason why we knew he had a kid, actually, we knew he had two kids. The reason why we knew he had a kid was. After he won his fourth title with Red Bull, NBC Sports did uh, a, a film where they followed Seb for like a week. Mm -hmm. And they followed him up to the factory where he did his seat fitting. And they followed him to visit friends in Germany. And that was where it was acknowledged that he had a child. They didn't... The sex of the child was never acknowledged, but that Seb had a child, but it wasn't – and I think they described the mother as his partner, mm -hmm. not as his wife. And then I think it was two years ago, two or three years ago, there was a brief story when Seb had his second child. And again, that's all we know is child. Yes. Very proud. Now, what will be amazing is when child children – grow older and if they were to get into racing what that would look like and and that's one of my questions that i would have for seb is okay you now have two kids are you are you is, looking to generation motor this? is motorsport about to become a family business for the vettels or do you want them doing something anything other than getting in a car and driving fast and you, you just don't know. However, based on the teaser for the interview with um, Steve from Channel 4. Steve Jones. Steve Jones from Channel 4. I have a theory that Vettel's wife is British. That's possible. Now, I know that he – because it was very, very much in um, – things that about Vettel that he has an incredibly British sense of humor. He watched a lot of Black Adder and a lot of Money Python and he had had girlfriends from Britain. And Christian a, Horner acknowledged this. Yes. Yeah. Um, as a as a young younger man. But there's a, a a relay between the two of them 
that I think uh, kind of tips his hat that because we don't know who she is. Yes, Steve, keep in Steve, mind we don't know the gender of his children. We don't know who his wife is. We just know that he now has a wife. All we know because we haven't seen this interview yet either. We've just seen the teaser of it. Is that Steve Jones asked Sebastian Vettel what the sexiest accent was, and he said British. Correct. Hence, his wife is British. And that's there was, that's there, the, the line I'm drawing. There were some other back and forth that occurred, which was... Awkward. Yeah, some par- parts awkward and some parts cringeworthy and actually really kind of funny. Yeah. But that's Steve Jones in general, so... <laughs> yeah. It is so, so awkward. Anyway, so Vettel spent time with his family. Lewis, and I know this is going to surprise you, spent time at Coachella. Coachella? Whatever that is. I have problems pronouncing words. We know this, right? Um, so he was at a music fest. Okay. Um, partying it up. And Daniel Ricardo? Well, he says it took him five days to get back to Monaco after winning in Shanghai. Um, he said he wished he had some decent stories of crazy three-day parties and that sort of thing. But it was uneventful as celebrations go. He said he was on multiple flights connecting the night after the race, then went straight to Milton Keynes to the Red Bull factory, spent some time in a simulator, and then he got some minor surgery. (laughs) Minor surgery being lip surgery. Yeah, he said he had this weird thing with his lip happen in Bahrain the weekend before where he bit it and it got infected or something because he just kept biting it over and over. Poor guy. So he had to get taken get that taken out and stitch up back in London and a fair bit of talking about in China was basically the week after Shanghai. Mm. That was like all he did. Um, so he got back to Monaco last Friday where he could finally put his feet up. Wow. Well, yeah, but he had emergency lip surgery. So <laughs> Daniel is also denying reports. And again, these are just reports that he has signed some form of a pre-contract option with Ferrari for 2019. Really? Yeah. I bet it's because Ferrari hasn't told Kimmy yet. Well, what Daniel says, he says that is not true. I can say that. I've only had talks with Red Bull. Even already last year, we had been pretty open with each other, and through the media as well, they say they are interested in keeping me. We have had some talks regarding this. I am aware of other reports, but there hasn't been anything else. They are not true, at least not until now. Certainly not. Okay. So he says he's not talking to Ferrari yet. All righty. It's just because I haven't told Kimmy yet. You know, and... and Seb said that he would not mind having Ricardo as a teammate again. Oh. As long as it's not Mark Webber, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, of see, all the Australians that he could drive with, as long as it's not Mark Webber. And, and I think th- this is where it gets kind of interesting. Is, you know, Mark left Red Bull in frustration because Red Bull designated um, through Helmet Marco that Seb was the number one driver, and that was not what he was promised, and that's not what he was told, and he was very, very bitter over that. Ferrari, now, the the situation that has occurred at Red Bull since Mark left 
since Daniel Ricardo's a uh, uh, helmet Marco protege. Max Verstappen is a helmet Marco protege, and Sebastian Vettel was a helmet Marco protege. Is that they didn't really favor one driver over another? Although arguably you could say that well, Max did get a contract last year and Daniel didn't. Mm-hmm. But they really haven't favored one driver over another, at least not as noticeably as they did in the Vettel-Weber years. Right. Over at Ferrari, Ferrari is very, very well known. The minute that it looks like one driver has a chance of winning the championship of having their dedicated and designated number one driver. Seb may be okay with that position provided he stays the number one. Is Ricardo going to be interesting going to a team where he would potentially be the number two and stay the number two? Right. I mean, that's a big question. That's definitely a big question for him. I honestly think that he would be better served to go to Mercedes. I think so also. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Valtteri's future. Yeah. I'm concerned. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I love her. Valtteri I really enjoy his driving I enjoy watching him I think that he's got a great personality and he's he's a good young driver um he's not gonna set the world on fire that's the other piece of this um but he's not the non-speaker that Kimmy is for a Finn yeah um he actually has a personality which is what I like but my problem is that every pundit right now is talking about basically Valtteri pulling up short and that he's not as aggressive as he needs to be and all of those things start weighing on contract renewals it does truly where my question is around Valtteri Mm -hmm. is is Mercedes happy with him yes he is coming up behind Lewis but he is very rarely is there somebody between him and when he's coming up behind Lewis. When Lewis has not been able to perform, he has been stepping up and filling the gap, but but he has not been close to Lewis. But my problem is they're talking about him not shutting the door on Vettel in Bahrain, not taking that pass in Bahrain. And they they keep fixating on it. the, The media does, and my problem with it my my really really big problem with with that whole idea is Lewis could not deliver. Mm-hmm. He was down behind for that entire race. He was not challenging. Valtteri, yes, he played it safe, but Valtteri finished ahead of Lewis. Yep. Period. He ended up on the podium there. So okay. He didn't win the race, and he didn't go and take a risk that he thought was a a bridge too far. But Lewis couldn't deliver, and Valtteri did. But the number of times that we've heard, every other driver on the track would have taken that pass. And I'm like, but he came in second. He, He had a choice between possibly risking second and not bringing the car home. How many drivers are saying that? Not that aren't, be, they're not there. Well, well, it, it, it's not that. It's the um, they're saying it because they know the seats 
potentially going to be open next year, and they want a shot at it. Oh, I understand. And this if is this game. is a chance to turn around and take a notch out of Valtteri's status with the team, that that's why they're doing it. Because it's really easy to say woulda, coulda, shoulda when you weren't in that seat. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But I'm just getting tired of the pundits latching onto it. Yeah. Like, like we need David Cothard to go woulda, coulda, shoulda is not worth anything. The problem is David Cothard's been part of that course. That's my problem. So, speaking of Lewis, and Lewis who shockingly, like Mercedes, has made it three races into the season and hasn't won a race, um, got a pole, didn't win a race. Like, And seriously, Australia was one of those things. He was doing everything right. He was the top of everything. And, and admittedly, some of this is Mercedes' own poor strategy calls. Um, Bernie's commenting. He had to come out of the wood. You knew he had to come out of the woodwork again. You mean <clears throat> they let him out from underneath the bridge that he's been living under? Well, it depends on who they is. If you if you think it was um, FOM that let him out from under the bridge, I would say no, they probably didn't. He found a <laughs> hole, or he's yelling up to the journalists who are crossing above him. Well, you know how and he somebody is. stopped he just to picks listen. Up a phone and starts talking to people yeah. because you know. He's been deemed irrelevant. What Bernie had to say was, he doesn't seem to be the Lewis that he was before. When you talk to him and see him act the way he acts, he's not the racer he was. He's very quick, still super talented. Of course, this article, the ads just flew around here. Here we go. He's very quick, still super talented, and still a nice guy. But maybe he is just getting a little bit of tired of traveling, and he is fed up with things. I don't think that's his problem. So now, if, if you read between the Bernie lines here, the way I read between the Bernie lines here is, well, you know, if I was still running this sport, I wouldn't be making these changes that would possibly make Lewis upset and make him go away because he's the big star that he is. <laughs> that's how I read be between the Bernie lines there. Wow. Somebody pat Bernie on his really bad hair and send him back to the corner where he resides. Now, Toto Wolf kind of blew this off and said, all of us very much respect Bernie, but we have also learned to take the comments with a smile. Lewis is remarkably easy with these kind of things. I think that he sees it pretty relaxed. But Bernie comes in and throws a hand grenade, and it's in the papers. It's great. It's Bernie's way. He got all of you here into F1 and me, and he made the sport big. It's the off-track and on-track narrative and another thing to write about and talk about. Mm-hmm exactly what it is yeah um also with lewis you know he was struggling a bit in, in uh the practice sessions a bit better in qualifying not quite as good enough according to lewis that they um the team pretty much changed everything on the car oh nice yeah um they're better I don't know if they're quite there yet. We'll know more when we watch the race. But he says that the team did a lot to try and sort out their messes, but it still sounds like they've got a diva on their hands. Well, I think they were hoping for more of a princess than a diva, but I think they're still working on a diva. Um, but he did qualify within like a tenth of a second of Vettel. Yes, he's not a pole, but he was 
I mean, he's not been on that kind of pace with the top end since Australia. So I think they found something. Now, they're supposed to be in um, the Mario Kart Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Um, some seriously high winds. And winds are a big factor because they yeah. it's, it's tight and twisty in certain parts. And the wind comes down and just gets focused through those buildings. So I'm very concerned that we're going to see a crash fest. There is that possibility this weekend. Um, the FIA did make some changes to the pit lane entry. Um, and there's some back and forth as to the situation with the pit lane entry over in Baku. Um, they added a, a new section of dotted lines to the usual solid white pit entry line. Uh, and this came specifically after some back and forth over how to manage the pit lane entry at the circuit. Um, after the end of second practice on Friday, the FIA opted to disregard the usual rule stating that drivers must enter the pit lane if they have four wheels to the left of the solid white line. So the idea here was that because you've got such a long run at full throttle from turn 16 to turn 1, it gives a potential for slip streaming before the pit entry at the circuit. That means that drivers may be forced towards the entry and could need to cut back across the line to stay on the track. Um, But concerns were raised over the change during the the driver's briefing on Friday night, and the FIA responded by reinstating the rule that any car with four wheels to the left of the white line must enter the pit lane. The normal rule will be complemented by a 70-meter section of dotted lines added to give drivers advance notice of the start of the pit entry. Now, Pierre Gasly said the last few years the track edge was the line of the pit lane entry. They actually said we are now allowed to cross it and then stay on the track. But it's quite dangerous, so we complained about it, and it's come back the way it's been the last few years. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess this is, you know, the drivers seeing that there was an issue where those of us watching on TV don't. Right. Um, Over at McLaren... They were actually trying to do some development work during practice. Okay. Um, we haven't heard what they're trying to do other than to fix their top speed deficit. And this is a track that's really good for doing that kind of testing because it's got the really long straights. Um, they're trying. They tried a new concept. I assume this is part of their the real car that's coming, not the fake car <laughs> that we have now, but the real car. Um, we assume it's part of that. But we don't know. Oh. But regardless, they still haven't made it into Q3. They haven't made it into Q3? I thought mm. Alonso had made it up to Q3. They've made it into Q2. I, I don't believe that they have made it into Q3 this season. I thought that they had. I thought he had started in like 7th or 8th. Now, you mentioned... The issue with you're going to go onto the Formula One site right now and you're going to get a race spoiler. You do not want to do this research right now. Not looking. Okay. Um, in qualifying this week, as you mentioned earlier, a pretty scary incident between a Toro Rosso's. Um, Brendan Hartley and what had actually happened, you had thought that there was some contact here. And, and, and initially that was the thought. I'm right, by the way. Okay. China, Alonzo qualified P7. I'm sorry. No, he finished P7. Finished 7th. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> that I was looking at the the qualifying. Um, Pierre Gasly, potentially as a uh, result of some contact with the wall, had managed to get himself a puncture. Mm-hmm. He was trying to get himself back to the pit lane when on a hot lap, uh, Pierre Gasly, it was Hartley who had the puncture. Okay. Did I say Gasly? <laughs> you did. Sorry. I'm like... Hartley had the puncture, possibly some wall. Gasly's on a hot lap coming down the straight at, oh, about 300 kilometers an hour. And Hartley is running slow in the middle of the track as he's trying to sort out what is going on with the car. Um, watching the video, it was really hard to tell where the heck Hartley was going. Mm-hmm. Um, Gasly made a pretty snap decision to slide to the right, which Hartley started to drift to the right, which made it even worse. Um, but Gasly made it, managed to just avoid Hartley at 300-some-odd miles an hour, but then as a result overran turn one and had to take the escape road. Um, Hartley admits to uh, a phenomenon where, well, what the military would call a loss of situational awareness. <laughs> You didn't know what the heck he was doing? No, he, he he admits that what happened was he was trying to figure out what was doing what was going on with the car and why it was behaving the way it was and was totally focused on that and not really paying any attention or paying mind to where the car was on the track and the other things that were going on on the track. And as a result, he didn't pull off to the side as he was trying to do this like he should have and instead was kind of wiggling around in the center of the track. And it could have been really, really bad. It could have been very, very bad. Um, Hartley needs to get his head in the game. Yeah, there's a couple. There's been a couple of incidents where it's very obvious that he is, he is singularly focused and is not taking in all of the stuff around him. Yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't speak well for his career. But again, there's nobody waiting in the wings still in the Red Bull organization that we've seen. Well, they just pulled pulled up the two people that they had waiting in the wings right but but i would think that if you're the red bull organization that one of the things that you're doing this year frantically is you're trying to get somebody into your development pipeline so that there is a potential for them to be promoted into toro rosso for next year Unless you are absolutely convinced that there's not going to be a seat at Red Bull for somebody from Toro Rosso to be moved up into. I mean, that's the other pe- The other wild card of this is if Ricardo doesn't move, nobody has a spot. That's not entirely true because of Hartley's seat. Remember, the, Red Bull, the, the Toro Rosso program is a young driver development program right. for Red Bull. Hartley's not exactly a young driver. Is Hartley? I think he's like 27. Oh, I thought he was in his early 20s. No, he and, and remember, he got a chance with Toro Rosso seven years ago and they cut him loose. Mm-hmm. They grabbed him because he's still in the Red Bull season and it's uh, the Red Bull stable in other series and was really last best chance. Maybe since he's over 20. 20- 
five, William should pick up Hartley and cut Stroll loose or Sorotkin and they could keep Martini. Well, if that was the reason why Martini was walking, that'd be an awesome idea. The other problem is then you need to make up the funding shortfall from Lawrence Stroll. Same thing with Sorotkin. So. So our last story. So last week we talked about um, Nico Rosberg and Robert Kubica distancing themselves in their managerial relationship because according to at least Robert, Nico's kind of busy. Yes, that's right. You know, he, he invested in Formula E. He's, he's a commentator. Well, his latest venture that was announced last weekend is that he is creating, well, he has created, not creating, he created a driver's academy. Oh, wow. Um, with the idea of uh, developing drivers from karting all the way up into a major series. And this includes the launch of the Rosberg Racing karting team with its first driver already. Oh, wow. Now, we don't know if his first driver is truly the next person to light the world on fire. Um, But, yeah, it's it's a karting team. His first driver, by the way, is um, about as tall as Nico. Aww. (laughs) But uh, that is Nico's latest venture. So it's not like he's spending more time with the family. Vivian has not said, you need to come home and, like, change some diapers. Um, He's out. With the karting crowd. Yeah. Uh, his first two drivers is 13-year-old Taylor Barnard from uh, Great Britain and 18-year-old Lorenzo Travisanudo from Italy. Okay. I will lay a dollar bet that we will never hear those names again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it takes a little bit to find the right talent. But, yeah, that is the idea is this is the Rossberg Driving Academy. All righty. So, yeah, that's all we've got this week. We have to go watch a race now. We have a race to watch. Then we have another week off. And, oh, by the way, we have a true week off. Yes, we we should actually mention that before we go. There will be no show next week. Uh, You are headed off into the woods to do girly stuff. Yes, as 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 one does, um, and we have like the culmination of the craziness of weekends because that is also the final concert for our college, the local college's youth ensemble. Yeah, well, there was a bunch of even if you weren't headed off to do your thing, there wouldn't have been a show this weekend because we would have been down at Mid Ohio for IMSA because that's IMSA's return to Mid Ohio. So and we're not going. Yeah, we're not doing that either, unfortunately. This, this I is blame Mid Ohio. They put the wrong dates on their calendar. When I had an opportunity to change everything, we had we were working with wrong dates. Okay. But alas, I'm disappearing for a bit. You're disappearing. Well, the boy's disappearing for a bit. You're playing taxi. Yeah. I think you're the only one that doesn't have anything major this weekend. (laughs) Welcome to my world. It's not always your world. (laughs) (laughs) But on that note, we'll call it a show.
We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.